Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. In this episode, Jack and I discuss the importance of challenging your own beliefs and seeing the other side of the argument. We look at the case one could make against value stocks outperforming in the future. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, I stumbled on a good post on the Farnham Street blog that I'll, we'll put in the show notes, but I just want to read you this quote from Charlie Munger, and then I, I want you to talk a little bit about your idea for the article you wrote in the conversation we're going to have, um, and then we can sort of jump into um, the other parts of it. So, But the quote uh, says, the ability to destroy your ideas rapidly instead of slowly when the occasion is right is one of the most valuable things. You have to work hard on it. Ask yourself what are the arguments on the other side? It's bad to have an opinion you're proud of if you can't state the arguments for the other side better than your opponents. This is great mental discipline. Yeah, that's a great quote. And that, that was sort of the idea behind this article is that, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in value investing. And so I know as a big believer in value investing, I'm going to seek out information that agrees with me, seek out information that supports value investing. I'm going to seek out people that agree with me. You know, I'm going to want to hear stuff that supports my argument. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's very difficult to do is to look at the other side. It's very difficult to say as a big believer in value investing, you know, I want to take a fair and honest look at the other side of it. And I want to figure out, you know, do, do my arguments still hold? And, you know, it's really, really hard to do. Um, no matter how hard you try, and you know, this, this article was my attempt to do it, but it can be very difficult because the, the most difficult thing to do is probably to look in the mirror and to challenge your own beliefs. And so, you know, even if you go, as I did here, and we'll talk about some of the, the arguments against value investing, you never really know whether you successfully did it. And, and that, I think that's what Munger is getting at is if, if you can do that and if you can realize it quickly when you're wrong, you're going to be way better off than most people, but it's much easier said than done. Yeah, he also basically says the people that can challenge their beliefs the best are the people that put in the work. And the people that put in the work know that they can't answer their their, their ideas with 100% confidence. So the fact that, you know, the work has been put in, we're the ones that have developed the models, we're able to think about the pluses and minuses, where these models might get it right, where these models might get it wrong, it allows us to, I think write things like this that might seem opposite of what we believe in and it's not really the case it's just it allows us to present the other side in an an, an intelligent way yeah and you know and my my goal here was you know i wanted to do it i think it's really important to do it publicly and so if i went you know and made some notes on my desk or something about the case against value stocks I, i don't know that i would have done as good a job of finding all the reasons why value investing might not work anymore. I think I thought it was important to try to produce something that was quality enough that I could put out there publicly that made the exact opposite case of what I believe. And so that, that was the goal with the article. Yeah, great. So, I mean, maybe let's start talking about the five points that you discussed in the article. And the first one was um, the world might be different than it has in the past. And you talked about the, and you referenced Ben, ben Hunt's um, three body part idea. So you want to shake yeah, that you, out a little bit more? 
Sure. You know, I'm a big believer in base rates. So I'm a big believer that when, when you want to see the likelihood of something happening, you look to the past. And the base rate data is very strong for value. Um, it's particularly very strong when you're in a position like we are now, where value struggled for a long period of time and spreads are wide. And, you know, if you look historically at these types of situations, the base rates are going to support, you know, investing in value stocks. But the flip side of that is sometimes things change. And sometimes, you know, all that historical data we have, something flips. And you can't rely on that historical data as much as you could have in the past. And there's there's been a couple different examples of that um, recently. One of them is the Ben Hunt idea, which is that what the Federal Reserve did in the wake of the financial crisis, suppressing interest rates, quantitative easing, that, that's been a change. And it's been a major change. And, and if that continues, if this is now permanent policy going forward, well, all that data we have before then that supports value stocks um, or and other factors as well, that may not be as reliable as it, as it was then. So we have to look at that and say, did something change with that Federal Reserve policy that now says value investing may not work as well as it has in the past? And, and the second one is there have been some rapid changes in technology, whether you look at it as the Internet or the invention of the microchip or, or whatever it is. You know, we're in a period of rapidly changing technology. And, and you can argue that, that that change supports growth type companies over value type companies and that it may continue to do that for a long period of time. So both of those are examples of where you might be able to look and say there was there's a breaking point here. All this data, this hundred years of data we have in the past, it's not as reliable as it used to be. Things may change in the future. Yeah, and just on the Fed issue, I must admit I was like five years ago, sort of on the bus that you know the Fed needs to normalize. They're going to be hiking interest rates sooner rather than later. Um, you know this like zero interest rate world is not going to be something we're going to be in for a long period of time. And, you know, I've been largely wrong about that. And even if you think about this year, you know, the Fed started its course of trying to get, you know, rates, um, increasing interest rates. And, you know, it, and now here we are and they're on, you know, a trajectory to lower rates going into next year. So it's just interesting when you think you can rely on history and the Fed's, you know, past interest rate um, increasing cycles, it doesn't, you know, it just goes to show history doesn't always repeat itself. And, and Ben's argument wasn't necessarily that this is bad for value stocks. Ben's argument in the three body problem is that when you when you have two bodies moving in space, mm -hmm. you can predict what's going to happen to one based on what the other is doing. When you have three, it becomes completely unpredictable. So it wasn't that it's necessarily bad or good for value stocks. It's just that that data that from the past that we're using to predict the future, we're now in a situation where there's three moving bodies and we can't use that. We can't use, you know, the other bodies to predict what's going to happen with the third body. Right. But I, yeah, no, I understand that. But what I do think is, you know, lower rates generally aren't good for value and they're better for growth. So that type of trend, you know, isn't favorable towards, you know, many value stocks. Yeah, no, that's... Rates. One of the interesting things, though, is that there has been some work done, I think O'Shaughnessy did it, that, that shows that what you're saying is completely logically true. You know, you'd expect that if, if rates are low, you know, m most of the value of a growth company is in the future. So when rates are low, the discount rate you're bringing that back at is lower. So you would expect that to favor growth companies. And, you know, most of the value or more of the value of a value company is in the present. Mm -hmm. So they should do better when rates are high. Right. But, you know, the work of places like O'Shaughnessy has shown that that doesn't necessarily hold. It does hold at times, okay. but over the long term, lower rates are not necessarily worse for value stocks, although okay. you would think they are. And, and the logic behind it would, would argue that they should be, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily always the case. Mm.
we'll have to find that article and we'll put it put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, your second point is, you know, that maybe too many people are value investors these days. Maybe too many people are doing it with the proliferation of smart, uh, you know, smart beta DFA funds and how big some of these, you know, uh, value managers are that, you know, are heavily weighted towards value. I mean, maybe there's too many people investing in those value stocks for it to work anymore. Right. The more people that buy value stocks, at least in theory, you're going to push up the valuations of value stocks relative to growth stocks. And it's going to get to a point where they no longer are attractive values. Um, so if that could happen and, and as more people follow these types of strategies, you could see that compression and you could see the long term returns of the, you know, the future of value, the long term expected returns fall. But this is probably the weakest of my arguments. And the reason is because we haven't seen that. Um, you know, the spread, spreads between growth and value right now are very wide historically. Mm -hmm. uh, AQR just had a paper out where I think they said they were in like the third percentile. So we're not seeing that. We're not seeing so many people following value that they're driving up the valuation of value stocks relative to growth. And so I think this is something to watch out for, but I don't think it's an argument that holds today. Mm. Yeah, I think, I don't know if indexing, you know, plays any part in that, but with the flow, the massive flow into market cap weighted product wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, ch there's not chasing or an overabundance of assets kind of coming into those value names, at least with the current trends in the market with everybody going to passive. Yeah, you'd think if anything, it would do the opposite. And th that's a big point of contention right now is, is the argument is, is passive investing distorting prices of stocks in any way? And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's very inconclusive at this point. You know, we, we interviewed Michael Mobison for our blog and, you know, he didn't really have a great answer one way or the other. And if anybody had a great answer one way or the other, it would probably be Michael Mobison. Yeah. So, you know, the art, it's hard to say whether passive investing is distorting prices at all. But if anything, it's definitely not distorting it in favor of value stocks. Right, exactly. Um, your third point was the capital following value is actually becoming potentially more permanent in nature. Yeah, this came from a podcast interview uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy did. And, and the argument here is if you're following value, it's, it's a little bit contradictory, but if you're following value, what you want is the weak hands to fold. So one of the reasons these factors work over time is that they don't work all the time and that people will abandon them when they're not working. And so in theory, if people stop abandoning value, if people... The argument in favor of this is basically that after the 90s, everybody got burned in value in the late 90s, and then in the 2000s, they stayed the course, they didn't abandon value, they were rewarded heavily. And so the theory is that may lead to more people not abandoning value now because they saw that. They saw themselves rewarded for right. staying the course. And so if that continues now, if people continue to stick with value, that, that could hurt the value premium over time because part of the success of it relies on that you know, people will abandon it when it's not working. It's been such a great period for these market cap weighted indices. You would think you'd have this capitulation in people just giving up on value and coming into what's working. And I think you've maybe seen like some of that, but I don't know if, you know, you've had such a, you know, period like you had from 2000 to 2007 where value did so good. You had people pile in. I don't know if you've had that sort of um, the capitulation kind of coming out in terms of fund flows and where people are actually invested. I mean, that might be something, you know, looking at the Morningstar fund flow data that, you know, we could uncover and look at to say, you know, how have the flows and how have these value strategies been influenced by this underperformance? Are people sort of holding their ground or are they giving up on it and moving somewhere else? 
it's really hard to do, and you, you sort of alluded to this, but fund flow data is very tricky to follow because, you know, what do you classify as a value fund versus what is a growth fund? And then, you know, you're only talking about a lot of times in fund flow data, you're only talking about publicly available mutual funds. You're not talking about all the people operating behind the scenes who mm -hmm. aren't in that data. So it's really, really hard, you know, to figure out whether there is capitulation during a period of struggle is really, really hard because the, the data is just not there for you for you to draw a conclusion one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think with all these smart beta strategies that have come out too, you know, a lot of them have a value, values integrated it in. So to some extent, you know, you might have like a multi-factor smart beta product and, you know, there may be a component of value in there. So you have some value stocks being included, but they're also, you know, using other factors. So I think that might uh, potentially be, you know, taking maybe money out of pure value strategies, but you're not totally moving away from value because you're still allocating to some value stocks. So to your point, the fund flows might not show the, the full picture there. That's an important point because that multi-factor strategy you just talked about, well, if that strategy has some degree of value in it, well, in fund flows, how am I going to classify it? You know, I right. have to classify the fund one way or the other. I can't classify like its value portion and its growth portion differently. So that either has to be treated as a value fund or treated as not a value fund. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what makes it so difficult is, you know, there, there's some pure value funds, but there's also funds that use these hybrid approaches and, and they can be very difficult, difficult to classify in terms of flows. Your uh, fourth point is that big data and the uh, computing power, you know, might be bad for value as well. What did you mean by that? Yeah, the example I used in the article was, I used the example of Walmart. Uh, let's say our value strategies really like Walmart right now. But let's say also hedge funds have more data than your traditional fundamentals. So let's say hedge funds have, you know, satellite pictures of Walmart's parking lot or hedge funds have credit card data that tells me, you know, how much is money is being charged at Walmart. The, the, our ability to rely on that historical data to determine if Walmart is actually cheap may be reduced because I may not have the full picture using historical fundamental data. I may not know that those parking lots are empty or I may not know that those credit card charges are down. And by the time I do know that, it might be too late. And so what I was getting at is big data could make relying on the historical fundamentals to determine what is a value stock more difficult than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. So these, all these alternative data sets that have come online, you know, there is a lot more of them out there. And I think, you know, I think folks like Patrick O'Shaughnessy and others have talked about, you know, investors having an edge in terms of the data that they have. And I think what your, your point is, is that, you know, the edge that, uh, you know, that edge may be getting um, eroded m more quickly because of this, you know, new type of data that's out there and that's obtainable by some firms that are able to integrate it into their investment process. But the flip side is that everybody is getting this data. So if I, if I sell the satellite data, I'm not going to go sell it to one firm. I'm going to sell right. it to everybody who will buy it. And so quickly that, that stuff probably mm -hmm. becomes priced in the stock. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I interviewed Tobias Karloff for our blog, he made the argument that, and, and it's a good argument, is that all that stuff, you know, the whole reason we're investing in these value stocks is that there's a lot of bad news out there. The price has been unfairly depressed. So all this is is probably more bad news that's priced in at the same time. So we expect that there's a bunch of problems with these value stocks, and the parking lots being empty at Walmart is just one of those other problems you would pile in with all the other ones. Right. And so it, it may not, you know, degrade our ability to use historical fundamental data, but it's. I think it's important to look at because whenever you have other people have information that you might not have, you have to consider how, how is that impacting your investment strategy. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. The, and the fifth point that you brought up, which is somewhat related to the, the, what we just discussed, but different, is that 
value stocks or value strategies sort of are an inherent bet against technology. They don't hold a lot of technology stocks. Right. So if I run an unconstrained value strategy and I'm looking for the cheapest stocks, I'm typically going to be underexposed to technology because most of the growth type companies reside in the technology sector. And so even, and even if I sector constrain my value portfolio, I'm still going to have the Micron technologies and the, you know, the, the disk drive makers and those types of companies, and I'm not going to have the Netflix and the Googles. So inherently, I, if technology continues to lead the way and I'm running a value strategy, I'm probably going to lag behind the market. And so that is a concern going forward because technology has been leading the way for a long time now. And if that continues, then value strategies will probably still struggle. Now, having said that, technology led the way in the late 90s, and then as valuations got out of hand, eventually that corrected itself. So if history is any guide, we'll probably see this eventually correct itself as well. But we have to understand, if technology continues to lead the way, and these types of technology firms lead the way, well, that's going to be bad for value strategies who either are underexposed to technology or are buying technology firms that are not the biggest growers within the space. I think it somewhat relates to that article from... O'Shaughnessy Asset Management that Chris Meredith wrote where he talked about the last time that value underperformed for such a long period was from, I want to say, the mid-1920s to the early 1940s. And that was a period of massive disruption, but with basically manufacturing firms. So manufacturing firms were like these growth-like companies and were being rewarded and value went on a very long period of, of relative underperformance. So technology and the internet and these new business models um, you know, it's a similar, you can make a parallel to that type of period, historically. Yeah, and you know, what was interesting in their work is they also looked at what finally ended it. So that was a 15-year period where value underperformed, which is even longer than what we're dealing with right now. And what finally ended it was when the existing firms figured out how to use the technology. And so if, if that's any parallel, that may be the same case here is, mm -hmm. you know, if, if these existing, you know, retailers, for example, figure out how to take advantage of technology and better compete with an Amazon. I mean, they don't need to have an Amazon multiple for this underperformance of value to end. They just need to do better, you know, because the, the expectations are so incredibly low right now. And so that could be what turns this as well. You know, eventually the existing firms may figure out how to utilize the technology better. And that may be what improves their financial results and, and you know, improves the results of value stocks as well. So I think, you know, being able to challenge your beliefs, but being able to understand why you believe in something, but then also understanding that you may not be 100% correct. I think those are all great points um, to sort of end with. And, you know, hopefully people listening to this um, got some value out of it. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.